0: What day is it?
1: Time is meaningless at this point. I don't know. Is it I don't is it know it a weekend? I don't know. I don't I legitimately do not know, Marie. I have no idea. Are you still are you still Chris? I'm definitely still oh, am I
0: still Marie. I'm definitely. yeah, I
1: think that's I think that part hasn't changed, but I think that has more to do with the the permeance of of self rather than the impermeance of time right now. Uh. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell. Here's my co host, maybe Marie uh, Mayhew. Marie. I don't
0: know anymore. Who am I? Who am I? Who are people? we? What
1: are we? Why are we? Oh. What a time. What a time. All right. No,
0: I'm doing good. We're good. How doing. are you doing? Is it weathering it well? I hope all of our listeners are, are hanging in there. Yeah, I hope everyone's doing the right thing. I hope everyone's listening doing well. to science. Wash
1: your hands. You know, don't wash your hands. Don't, uh, don't drink bleach. Um, oh, for
0: the love of God! Don't, don't drink it.
1: bleach. No, don't, we're, do- we're doing we're doing good. Do we're doing good. You know, I I really can't complain here. But uh tell you what, Marie, be doing a lot hmm. better if I was living on one of these uh psionic islands. The topic of today's episode. Oh, it's some good stuff. We finally get into the cults. Finally, we get into cults. We've been trying to do cults forever, finally. Marie. Finally, I love cults.
0: We just. We love cult, and what's really, what is not to love about a cult? Oh, That's so the good. problem, right? They are so eminently lovable when you first get to know them.
1: So this series, we are going to start off with a story about a cult that maybe you haven't heard of. It's likely that most of our listeners have not heard of this cult before. Maybe some of the ones in Australia will have heard of them before just because of proximity. But it's actually a pretty small cult still, although it has a lot of negative effects on its members. Um, mm-hmm. In many ways, the cults that we're going to be talking about today is very similar to... Um, the United Nation of Islam or even Jonestown, although like pre Kool-Aid or pre flavor aid, I guess I should say Jonestown. Right. So before it was famous, um, this cult is very similar to those other ones. in the idea that service to the leader and specifically service in the, in the name of like betterment of self, but without any kind of economic benefit to you, really. So you're just like working to make yourself a better person. And then that money is just kind of like going into a black hole at your at your compound. That's the kind of cult that we're talking about here today. Um, Next episode is sort of the
0: basis of
1: every cult. Yeah. In some ways, it's kind of the basis of like most cultish kind of belief systems. Um, And then next week, we're going to go a little bit more into like the 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 psychology of cults. Um, What makes people join a cult? How do you get someone to leave a cult? Those kinds of things. So I hope you are ready today for the Church of Enoch. So today's episode, we're talking about probably one of the most successful cults of like the late 2000s, I'd say, although it's not one you've heard of yet, because frankly, you haven't heard of the cults that haven't been, um... Rated yet by well, the exploded. FBI yeah. Yeah, like, you, yeah like you know the the ones that haven't imploded yet or the cults you haven't heard of yet but there's a lot of them mm-hmm. active at any one time across the world frankly so today's cult is especially unknown in the United States because it's first time it's headquartered in the Pacific Island so it's actually headquartered on a small island and rather it was initially headquartered on a part of Japan called a Kyushu, but then was transferred over now to um, one of these like string of Pacific islands that the, the leader and his followers essentially own. I mean, but again, the, the, the followers don't own anything. It's all the leader that owns right. everything. Um, but so right. today this, this cult that has been called the church of Enoch or the COE um, stretches all the way from, again, like the Southern parts of Japan all the way down to Pacific islands like Java and Borneo and the Philippines and places like that. Now the founder of this group is named, he's a man named Foma Fyodorovich Enon. Um, And so he's, he's Russian. He began the cult in the mid nineties. And initially the cult was really limited towards at first when he started, he didn't start it as a cult. right? No cult leader starts out being like, we're going to start a cult, right? That that's not how it happens. Um, he he started out eh,
0: um, maybe a bit uh, got a little bit of
1: control issues. Oh well, sure, like yeah. Gonna, the cult becomes
0: a cult, but yes, it started from 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 good community service or wanting to do good for for the larger cause.
1: Right. So the cult, if I guess, if we had to kind of describe it quickly, it's sort of a like a it's a pseudo Confucianist cult that focuses on communist literature and belief systems i call it confucian because first off it's it's in that area right it's really popular in Mm -hmm. in korea and in japan um and Mm -hmm. somewhat in china but the communist party is pretty tight on any kind of like religious ish belief in china um but so it, it but it has this kind of idea of like there being a leader who is you know a holy person on earth or is to be revered and not questioned and this idea of, like, a very yeah. strong social hierarchy and deference and things is really important in this cult. And so this, this you know, FOMA has kind of used this as a way to um, control his followers and find a natural control mechanism. It's very similar in some ways to North Korea.
0: Yes. Yes. Even with some of the pageantry and with yeah. the... Um- idea that the wisdom comes from one source or one person
1: right yeah it's
0: easily digestible and it's not religious but it's still dogmatic
1: right this is a man who loves parades people (laughs) so yeah um so initially these things started out so okay let's start at the beginning so Mm -hmm. foma enot or foma Fyodorovich enot Fyodorovich being the patronymic name that is given in russia um he was born may 30th sixty four. And the town he was born in is called Litsvianca in Russia, technically kind of Belarus. It's not super clear on, like, Wikipedia and stuff where this place is located officially. But, like, it was Belarus, but now it's Russia, but maybe it's still East Belarusian or whatever. This town, it's a, gone some change. Yeah, it's a really small town, though. That's that's important, right? It's right outside of Yarkoust, and it's near Lake Baikal, which maybe some listeners know from the Astonishing Legends episode on Lake Baikal. That was... Actually uh legendary because it was the founding of Marie and my uh takeover That's of the right. world relationship, which is very important. <laughs> so right.
0: But, yeah, pinky in the brain, man. was you. uh we decided to do it then. It
1: was Lake by Call. Killing it. God. So Enoch, um, again born May thirtieth, nineteen sixty-four. He's born in this small town that sits outside of your which is a much larger uh city. So Litzvianka is was at the time um it was known as a worker settlement, which is actually a specific classification in the old USSR. Um, it's still kind of used. But so what it meant was this was a place that was meant to house industrial workers, fishermen, farmers, um, yeah. you know, whatever the local area. Yeah, like, right. Whatever the local proletariat was, this was a city for mm-hmm. them. And so the population today is only 1,800 um, around like 2000s in like the late or in the early 2000s, rather but it's basically always hovered between like 500 and 2,000 people, right? So we don't yeah, have to think. Ex- I mean,
0: yeah, I would say too. Going into like the you know 2000s, towards when he was growing up, it was not a thriving economy, right? Exactly. Or it was not a thriving. Uh, there's not a lot of future for the proletariat.
1: No, it's never Except it's, in
0: propaganda, right? It's it's right? never it's been not a growth industry for anybody.
1: No, it's never been a particularly rich area, right? Like where you said. No. Um, so his father, Fyodor Kristevich Enot, um, ran what today we might consider to be like a co-op farm, but in the USSR was known as a kolkoz, or a kolkoz, which mm-hmm. was um, – it was essentially like a government-run farm that was headed up by a member in good standing of the Communist Party and then would yeah. – um, they'd, they'd farm the land. They'd get stuff and they'd send it back to the central repository and then it would get distributed around. Right. So his father ran one of these areas. They didn't even
0: really make any money off of that.
1: Well, no, they're, yeah, kind
0: of terms. No, no. It was like, it was almost like a commune.
1: Well, what's interesting is
0: the American equivalent would sort of be
1: a commune. Right. What's actually really interesting is that a lot of people believe that, I mean, it's clear that this was kind of the starting point for his, this is how his cults are based. This is how his cities, I should say, or his, his uh, communes are set up. Yeah. His communities are built. His communities are these kind of Kolkhoge. Um, systems right yeah so his father was this kind of good communist party man who ran this sort of commune farm thing his mother's name was dasha um she was a housewife essentially but they met because she was the daughter of the local communist party leader so um dasha was initially from kazakhstan so she was like half kazakh half russian and then so uh foma is a quarter kazakh um but so they were they were placed in Yerkoos to help run the local like the local government of that city. And so they we don't know exactly like there's not a lot of like a lot of stuff from the Soviet, the former Soviet Union. Yeah. Especially in these not small a lot areas. Of getting out. There's not a lot of <laughs> info, really. But um, based on like interviews and stuff and other things, we believe that his mother and father must have met. It just is sensible that they must have met at like a Communist Party function. Right. They must have met yeah. somewhere like that.
0: And it was it was I would imagine, too, especially during this time, it was, you know, while I'm sure it was a marriage of love, it was also one for convenience for the Communist Party. And if you have a, a state run farm, you're the best allegiance that you can make is, you know, a a tie to that party. Right. right. So it's sort of just like a, a link in that chain that's ultimately works its way back to the head
1: Communist Party. Right. Exactly. Um yeah. So we know that they were married in 1960 and then, of course, had their son, uh, Foma, in 1964. Doesn't appear mm-hmm. that he has any brothers or sisters or anything. Um, although, again, yeah, we, which is sort
0: of unusual. Yeah. But
1: again, like we don't really know all that much about that. And he's not exactly talking about his his history. Um, no, but,
0: not not a lot of pictures from his childhood.
1: No, no, thanks. Thanks, communist Irkoust um so okay we what we do know though christmas cards what we do know and a lot of his interviews are still like either in russian or japanese which makes them not exactly Mm -hmm. the easiest to read um thank you google translate um (laughs) we know that his family so late 70s he's becoming like he's like 16 17 his family has enough connections that he's able to go to a boarding school for like privileged party members children right so he gets sent to this boarding school, and specifically he immediately finds that he has a talent for languages. So he is able yeah. to learn – like through his schooling, he learns Chinese, English, Japanese, and Korean, um, as well as you know building on the, the, the Kazakh language that his mother had taught him. So in Kazakhstan, they normally – it's like a mix. They speak Russian, but they also have a native Kazakh language. So he kind of learned both of those in his home but got better at it at his school.
0: And I think it's warranted to say, but also when he starts to go to school, he is a charismatic person. Like people like him. They want to listen to him. He's sort of a a natural uh, follower or natural. He is a natural leader who likes followers. He's charismatic.
1: And actually that talent that he has is going to be developed by the school itself and by his mentors and Mm -hmm. things uh, because they, they put him in the diplomatic corps. So they essentially say to him, "Okay, well, you're clearly like you're. Like like, even in the United States, right? They basically say we're going to breed you from this point forward to become a statesman, right? To become a leader of the Communist Party, to become a diplomat, to become someone who can work with our, these other communist countries like China, like Korea, um, like they were hoping Japan might become. Um, you know, that's kind of why he was thrust in that kind of position, right? But he did find quickly – he liked power. He liked being able to to tell people what to do, um, I just kind of liked having his, I don't know, ha- like having his fingers in a lot of pies, I guess, is the grossest way to say that.
0: Yeah, I think he had he had a very diverse, um, diverse group of interests, right? He was he was good at a lot of things. He was good at business. He had an appreciation for the arts. He liked agriculture like he had a very well-rounded um, sort of set of skills and personalities.
1: Absolutely. Um he had he was yeah he was not a dumb he's not a dumb person right he's no, he's no. very smart he was um really deep into kind of communist party literature as well in philosophy um mm-hmm. and immediately like immediately had a connection or, or interest in um mongolia and um the mongols especially not just mongolia but like the mongols right um again his mother is kazakh so a lot of that kind of um like the the culture of like uh nomadic planes um groups and things was always of interest to him but in this time mm-hmm. period he really developed a fascination with genghis khan right and, and that kind of idea of like i don't know building the world and creating this like one communist party system right seems to have been yes. something that really spoke to him as a kid or as a young man i guess he's not really a kid at this point he's as like, a
0: young man yeah. yeah which is now also in the late 80s early you know coming into the late 80s mid 90s starting to um starting to be very different from where the communist party is now (laughs) right and happening in russia right like genghis khan was much more of a might make right you know conqueror versus kind of what's happening in the geopolitical world at that time
1: yeah and so it's actually really kind of it's kind of it's like tragic comedy almost um he finishes school so he finishes like college or i guess kind of the equivalence of what we would consider to be like graduate school like a not really a phd yeah diplomatic
0: corps almost like a diplomatic corps program yeah like like like, finishing
1: school right he he, he gets Mm -hmm. done with schooling in 1988 so two years before the soviet union falls (laughs) so not going great right not going great for him um no so- no, but
0: this is also this is also when we think that he also, you know, what's happening in the Soviet Union is you see a lot of oligarchs beginning to make inroads, um, a lot of profiteering, a lot of uh, very loose entrepreneurial capitalism happening. So this is also where he's going to make some contacts or have some some learning outside of his sort of uh, finishing school that is going to better enable him to make money in the future as well
1: right and and so i don't think though that it's i don't think it would be too much to say that this period of like this this is a person who grew up believing communism believing soviet propaganda believing that the soviet union was this like perfect society you know what i mean and for his Mm -hmm. life like he even though he grew up in like a, a poor kind of farming community he was then very quickly sent to the best school's the best areas he was sent, you know, he wined and dined these, um, like he was given the best of the Soviet lifestyle that could be given, right? Yes, and so just yes. like we often wonder, Which like is
0: shady no matter what, right? right? But, like, but, but, but just the best like best of the Soviet life, goes coming from other people's money,
1: right? Still not great, but we don't yeah. like, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get across is just like in those documentaries mm-hmm. on North Korea where the people they show are always like looking healthy and happy and whatever. That's because they are like the party's best. You know what I mean? Yes.
0: And yes, the poster for, children for that movement.
1: Right. And so Enot is one of those kinds of people, right? He is one of their, like, he's one of their best. Um. So he really bought into the the Soviet propaganda. And as the Soviet union started to disintegrate and as these you know, people in his life that he looked up to um, just as his way of life started to disintegrate, it did not go over very well with him. He was shattered. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And so what this eventually led to is he completely leaves Russia. He actually goes and lives in, in um he lives in Vietnam for a little bit. He lives in South Korea for a little bit. He's living. Um, he He just kind of moves around. Right. And so he'll eventually see the fall of the Soviet Union, obviously, completely in 1991. But by that point, he's already kind of given up on that idea of a Soviet Union and said, you know what? Screw all of you. I'm going to do it myself. And that's kind of in a weird way the the driver that makes him want to or at least I think is the driver or one of those drivers that makes him want to kind of get out there and really start getting into all this, I don't know. Yeah. Just shady, yeah, terrible think, stuff that he does.
0: Well, and I think I think that, you know, the disillusionment in any belief system, you know, I, that, that can... What I think is interesting is, yeah, is the disillusionment in that belief system, but then how he kind of co-ops that into what he does next, right? So it's not a total 180. It's not like he he's throwing away all of it he learned or like his upbringing or sort of the contacts he had or how he was going to structure things. He just reappropriates them into his next iteration to make himself more powerful. Right. Which is, which is very, which is still very much like the communist party, but it's, it's now him just sort of doing it for himself.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting, like, I don't know, man. I don't even know. It reminds me almost of those. I don't know if you've ever read those stories of like after World War II ended, there were still Japanese soldiers who were like living in the jungle, you know, and they were just like waiting for Japan to, I guess, find them on the islands or whatever. Um, Yeah, I can. almost You know, it's it's almost like that's what he he was like. Forget it. I'm the dream is dead, maybe over there, but I'm going to keep living it myself.
0: But it borders, I think it borders on, it borders on that fanaticism, right? The religious fanaticism. But to your point, it's sort of like the sheer will and the sheer, like, um, propulsion of his own belief is what is going to, um, is what's going to take him to the next, his next level.
1: Absolutely. Um, And so at this point now, his, he's living, like I said, he lived in these kind of, like, Vietnam um Thailand, Japan, South Korea. He's kind of moving around all over the place. He mm-hmm. finally lands in the 90s in Japan. And specifically he lands in an area outside of uh Tokyo, like I don't want to call it, it's not really a suburb of Tokyo because they kind of define suburbs differently in Japan, but it's it's in Chiba yeah. prefecture. It's the city of uh, Kamagaya is where he ends up starting this church, this it's not really even a church. It's like commute, right? It's where he starts his it's group.
0: Commute, yeah. Is in
1: Kamagaya. And so, uh, with that, we're going to take our first break and then uh, come right back. Don't you know that you're a grown up? And we're back. And we're back. All right. Talking cults. So one thing you'll notice about all those places we said that, um, you not kind of moved around was they are all, um, they're all, they all had communist parties of their own. They all had like communist tendencies in one way or the other. And so, mm-hmm. and it kind of seems weird that like Japan would be the place that he landed. Japan. I, I think Marie is right that he's almost more of an oligarch than he is a communist. um, you know japan had in training right like japan had all the stuff that he needed you know yeah. what i mean it had connections to people that he uh, he had connections that he could utilize it had yep. um an easy flow of currency and goods and everything else it also See did have ports. its own yeah. it also did have its own communist party so the nihon so or the nihon kyosanto which i'm going to i just probably said completely wrong even though i tried to retry it there um it did have its own Japanese Communist Party that's still in existence in Japan. Um it, it it like it's close enough to those places that he can be still connected and maybe you know get back in with the party somehow or whatever, but it's also far enough away that he can kind of do stuff on his own without being really watched. Yeah.
0: Well, and the Japanese government at the time is not focused on it's focused on making money itself. Right. I mean, they're not- in the 90s, it's, it's advancing. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. more technologically focused. They are not going to – and they, they really don't want to have anything to do necessarily with, with you know, heavy-duty religion. But China, on the other hand, you know, he would have come into problems with yes. um, with the Communist Party there, now, I think. Here's this is where he's going now because now – like he is. He's in this weird in-between space now.
1: Now here's the other thing too that's kind of interesting, Right. So we said before that his mother was Kazakh. Um yes. for those of you that don't and listening that don't know this. So um the people of Kazakhstan or or at least some portion of the people of Kazakhstan have very um very essentially like I guess Asiatic features, right? So he passes or he's able to kind of blend in with Japanese society in a way that another foreigner would not be able to because he kind of looks Japanese. Right? Um that's not possible because, like, Japan is weird at this time because they're very, like, I think there's this idea of, like, people like Neckbeards who, like, watch anime and whatever think of Japan as this, like, it's so kooky and weird. Like, Japan is super conservative and yes. very, very uptight and, like, very, very, I guess, Confucian still, just very structured, very rigid, right? Um, and he's going to play off of that rigidity in a way as well here. But the only reason he's able to start in Japan is because he blends in. You know what I mean? If he was some like, I don't know, if he was some, you know. Swede. Right, exactly. Like if he was some guy from like Norway or whatever, or he looked like, you know, Vladimir Putin, he moved to Japan, he'd probably have a harder time, right? So. Yes. um he starts up one of these he, – he he doesn't call it a kolkhoz, but it's essentially what he starts. He starts a communist-style community garden. And so this place, the promises that he – or the thing that he promises with this garden is essentially you can come here. You can work on the land. Working in that way is going to heal you. It lets you get away from the – um, like the tension – and the yeah. anxiety of living in such a technological and such a yeah. structured society as, as Japanese yeah, the culture. Yeah, A
0: rigid structure, yeah.
1: Right. That is just,
0: yes. So yes. he makes- so You can start doing things for yourself. Exactly. become self-actualized.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so he also kind of sells a little bit of this idea of like a return to nature, right? So like Marie's saying, that mm-hmm. self-actualization, but also a little bit of this idea of like getting back to nature lets you become more- natural and I mean natural in like the stupid way that like goop often means natural right like natural just means good (laughs) you know
0: taking a swing at Gwyneth Paltrow um yeah like well that you are you're not beholden to anyone right there's no one it's very free will centric right there's nothing that's governing who you should be or what your responsibilities are or um you know the structure you are creating your own structure
1: right and like and like most cults it starts off with that like perfect view you know what i mean yeah like yeah it's you know it starts off with this like crazy idea of like you know we're just gonna we're just gonna trade stuff we're gonna live off the land no one's gonna tell us what to do whatever yeah and then eventually the leader is like right no one's gonna tell you what to do but me (laughs) right like it always starts off great like you know yeah. so um over time so he starts this in like the like kind of early 90s like 94 mm-hmm. 95 it develops over time and so um like 1994 he begins introducing rigid rules and the reason is because at least in theory he says the reason to introduce these rules is because they're getting away from the point of the original farm Right. Because this whole time yes. they're selling the stuff they make on the farm to help like right. do community events right. and like get better stuff and whatever. Right. Buy more yeah. land. And
0: that's the front of it. Right. Because there's also money coming in probably to for larger purchases and to substantiate <laughs> them that we don't know what right. that's from. Based right? on, there's
1: still some shady stuff based on happening. how shady things get later on. It's undoubtedly yeah. he was sewing Sadie. She, she, he was sewing. Shady Seeds then. That why did I pick such Ooh, a hard Tom Twister. Tom Twister to good. say. That Thank was you. good. But it's true
0: like again like you can sort of see what as he left, you know, uh communist Russia during the fall, during sort of the the oligarchs, sort of just a little bit of that is following with him that clearly he hasn't like he still has some contacts, but he still is a very charismatic. I think we should re-emphasize that because it's like you don't get to sort of put these rules in place, and 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 um, you can't do that without being charismatic or being able to sell your authority as a good. Thing, no, yeah, right? so, you can't enslave people without them willing on some level to like with cults. They have to want to buy in.
1: So essentially, essentially, what happens here to make that happen? And Marie's completely right, right? The way the way that this happens here is. So this entire time he's been living on the farm, you know, and so he's like he's exemplifying this kind of idea of like a return to nature and everything else. And slowly over time, people are asking, can I live on the farm, too? You know, and so as Mm -hmm. they say or as he starts letting them live on the farm, um, he's in he's telling them to live here. You know, you're going to live here rent free. You're going to be able to eat the food all you want, whatever to be able to do that, though. I need you to do these things. And he says yeah. that the point of these is so that they don't kind of ruin um, – they don't, like, bring in all of those aspects of the culture around them that they're trying to escape, you know? So some of the rules, for instance, that he says are – some of the rules that they have to live on the farm are you can't have any outside items. So it's it's all stuff that they make internally or that yeah. is purchased by FOMA or his kind of, like, inner circle that starts to develop around that time, right? Um, He requires Mm -hmm. he requires uh, atheism or at least the removal of religious symbolism, no religious discussion, no like overt um, religious symbolism or displays. Um, They you know, they can only again because they're only using the stuff that's on the farm, the stuff they're able to like consume like in terms of media is also very limited. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they also have to, if they're going to live on the farm, they have to give tithe. So they have to tithe in a little bit somehow, right? The tithing, right. the tithing starts to go out to everyone. And so initially the tithing starts is like, okay, we're going to grow all this. We're going to grow all these fruits and vegetables and everything else. You can sell some of the stuff you make on this land. Cause, cause again, the farms are getting bigger and bigger, right? We can't, we can't mm-hmm. stress that enough. The farms are getting larger and larger here. And so over like eventually they have enough food for the people that live on the farm to live off of that stuff. And the other people using the land, they're just like, well, you can do what you want with it, but you have to pay us for the use of the land. Right. Which yes. is their tithing system there. Um, and so again, that starts happening and they, they actually get so successful that they're able to start a company. And so 95, um, they found what becomes known as the psionic farming cooperative, um, which Helps them again, kind awesome of awesome sounding. It sounds great. It's such a cool freaking name. Right. um And so essentially what it allows them to do now is so they have all this land. They're now a corporation so they can start buying larger things. Right. They're legally protected and all that kind of stuff that being a corporation right. allows you to do. Um, but they're also able to kind of have like a business arm that does stuff that maybe the the inside group or the people living on the farm would frown upon, such as selling the land or using the farmland for all kinds of other stuff or whatever.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. You can start to see, like, sort of the formation of more business and more, like you were saying, like, corporation, but it's not readily apparent on the face of, uh, you know, to the followers or really even to um, sort of the culture or the society that it would interact with, right? Because it's still, like, he's very particular about... Who they allow in to this to this um yes to these to these co ops yes. right they're very particular, however, they also maintain a very strict image facing forward that is sort of this balance of the cooperative and and um uh, sort of the utopian that utopian lifestyle, but they're definitely building up when they incorporate they're definitely building up a structure to make acquisitions to begin to di- you know to diversify they're getting and they are getting money seemingly, because again, like farming, they're, they're they're profitable, they're doing well, but they're, you know, if you look at sort of their overall income structure and kind of what they have, I just don't think farming and sort of the there's agrarian no way. lifestyle there's that they no have way. would be substantiated no, there's no way a lot with, of this stuff.
1: With all of the airplanes that they own, there's no yeah. way it's just farming. There's no way. There's no way. There's no so, way. There's, um, yeah.
0: And we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. Like kind of their their mobility with this stuff is pretty amazing. No, there's
1: no way. So um so okay they start this group in 95 and then the next year they actually move their headquarters or kind of their main place to the island of um Kyushu. So they move from Kamagaya where they had kind of a smaller footprint to now this island of Kyushu which is um <clears throat> like south southern Japan. Um mm-hmm. but at the same time that they move down there they also start buying up so Japan it's weird. Japan has a lot of deserted islands. Or like uninhabited islands, I guess I should say. Yeah, they have a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of island land in Japan that's not Mm -hmm. being used for anything that the government of Japan sells. And so they start buying up pieces of that uninhabited land and creating Mm -hmm. um, communes on those islands, right? Yes. And so um, what they begin to do though, is it's now that the cult of personality and the Development of like really stringent stringent controls start to happen here so I'll give you an example of how one of these kind of areas work right so yeah they start off with you you begin an island so you have this island that they purchase, and then from there um they essentially have people that will move in they'll they'll do a little bit of like setting up farmland and stuff like that and kind of general um general amenities but like nothing crazy right yeah. so there's like well there's and on the
0: flip side making sure of it it's that they're isolated right that the technology and like the landlines and sort of the ways to communicate with the mainland or the outside world are closely monitored or practically non-existent right so they're doing like sort of all this nefarious infrastructure stuff at the same time
1: right so and, and so by doing that then all of their information so like the, po- the mail is delivered by mm-hmm. by this group, right? Um, internet, like access to information is controlled by this group because they're the ones that control the information flow to yes. the islands, right? Phones, um, being
0: able to reach your family exactly. or friends outside. All of that Ball. is
1: strictly, strictly controlled. And yes. so um, they basically create a way whereby everything that happens on these islands. So again – The way that they kind of recruit people is you're given a pamphlet or a leaflet or something. It's, you know, it says, listen, are you unhappy here? Are you disaffected? Do you feel, you know, do you feel like there's too much pressure on you living in these countries, right? Living in the place that you're from Mm -hmm. now. Um, And actually, they have a really high conversion rate, it seems, of people who fail the university exams to get into like Hmm. good universities in Japan or Korea. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, like, that's such a pressure point. You know what I mean that's such a pressure point there. So he's able to say have you failed at your career? Do you feel like your career is going nowhere? Whatever. Come come live with us. Right? You don't need any money. Um you don't need any stuff. You'll be a farmer. You can live off the land and you can build this world for yourself. You know? Um mm-hmm. it's it's a very very enticing offer I think for a lot of people. And yes. so um on these islands each of them um your st- your social status and your status within the cult have a huge effect on the stuff you're given access to. So how nice is your house? Where are you placed on the island? In what order do you get like mail? What in order do you get food at mm-hmm. the kind of you know area where food is food is doled out and stuff? Um, how many phone perks. calls? How many phone calls can you make a month? All of that stuff, all yep. those perks go through the, the community. And the way that they control mm-hmm. that is they use an internal currency called coal's, also known as coal credit um, I don't know if it's coal's or cole but it's k o l e um and that's the only way of getting anything on these islands you transfer these credits you 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 know whatever um and that's the way that you get like food or you get a shovel or you get yeah. whatever you need right like a car whatever you need to live on this island
0: right and I think what is insidious about it again is it's you can see it in any other any other cult does the exact same thing you know like again I use like Ruby Ridge and Waco just because I feel like they're recent and they're also kind of a good a good comparison point is like you control any touch point that person may have with any type of culture or any type of media or any type of communication, right? You are the person that they have to go through to get that. You are the person that they go through for validation and for a sense of self-worth. You are the person that, um, you know, that feeds them and that clothes them and gives them that kind of an identity and helps, helps them feel like they are self-sufficient. However, all of their self-sufficiency is reliant on one entity, and that's you. And I think the thing that's insidious, too, is like even if so, even if you're in these communities and you start to ask questions or if you start to if you start to kind of rebel there, they have kind of put in ways to socially regulate rebellion and make sure that even if you are acting out or trying to get messages to the outside world, that they kind of control that as well.
1: Right. And and right. frankly. So if like, trying
0: to slip something out or they're trying to slip so you know, your your friends and family are trying to, you know, get something into you. They intercept it and kind of uh again monitor everything and then give you some very sanitized version of your active rebellion to kind of, you know, give you that outlet, but then also reinforce like Why you're there, like your family members are like, oh, no, this is really good for you. Like, we think that this is we're so proud of you doing this instead of like we're sending a, you know, we're sending a SWAT team in to get you out kind of thing. Well, that's the
1: thing. It's very similar to the United Nation of Islam where. Yes. um, Royal Jenkins, you know, creates this cult, but basically like and it's using child labor, right, is the United Nations Mm -hmm. Islam is one of their big things. Um, or one of the big things that said that they do um, they're using this labor and not paying people for it, but giving out social credit, essentially. It's the same thing that's happening here. Right. And unfortunately social credit um, doesn't get you a lot of money uh, out. You know, there's not a great, there's not a great return on on us dollars for social credit.
0: Yeah. It's not a recognized currency yet.
1: So um, with the building of these communities now, also comes a further um, kind of cult of of personality, I'll say. So Mm -hmm. um, first off, there are these internal economies where everything is purchased with these same credits, right? These coal credits. Um, And again, your status or your rank within the cult or within, I guess, kind of the grouping structure determines... Your favor. Exactly. Determines how how close you get to live to the leader, right? Um, How big is your island? How big is your... Uh, or how nice I guess I should say is your island' not really how big, but how how nice is the mm-hmm. island, how developed is it right how is your house how was your other you know yeah. are you allowed to get luxury goods um
0: yeah and how how well do you does um not respond to you for your own self worth right how much does he trust and bestow his grace and love on you and that's right like yeah that's the big that's the other big thing besides like you know, physical and kind of luxury items is like that he trusts you and he wants to bring you into more and have you do more and and become more integral to the working of the the farm itself.
1: Right. In a weird way, uh the more the more favored you are and the more how much more status you have is actually worse. Mm-hmm. Cause you end up doing more work. Like you end you know, you end up having to produce more stuff, right? And it's yep. I don't know. It's very insidious that way. So um, the other thing that they do is they actually do uh, a lot of ritualistic kind of uh, events. So there are like like we said, not really parades, but like festivals, right, to celebrate mm-hmm. like the founding of the group or the 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 day that the uh, commune was established or whatever. Right, milestones in the community that happen are always ritualized. Um, on top of that, every morning there are announcements that are again ritualized in a certain way it's very similar to what they do in in north korea actually or in other communist Mm -hmm. um type Mm -hmm. cults where there's like loudspeakers and stuff um yep you're
0: forced to gather and hear
1: right and so what that what they do every morning is essentially you're forced to hear updates you know whatever the leader wants you to get a reading from the leader's uh booklets or you know philosophies or whatever and then um you're basically given you know, you're told like, okay, well now, you know, report to your section leader essentially for your tasks for the day. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, your normal amount of work. And so the way that these islands are structured is there's the kind of lower rung farmer people, right. There's the farmers. Then there are those who actually, um, people who actually produce goods. So there, there are some, there is some technology going on here, but it's very minimal, right. It's stuff like, you know, artisanal stuff, like, I don't know, like, um, like, like, weaving baskets, right, or making silk yeah. or whatever, right? It's not a lot of other stuff than that. It's very still kept quite primitive, almost, like, Amish style. But it is very um, – there is some industry happening, right? So you have yes. the farmers, then you have the industry people, or kind of the the artisans, I guess you'd say. And then at the highest rung on those individual islands are the people who actually ship things back and forth and out of the island right? Those are like your your kind of like leader of the island, right? So every leader has almost its own cult leader itself. Um,
0: Yeah, you have sort of the hierarchy, right? Compartmentalization as well. Like the groups don't know, really don't know the other groups very much. They'll have pleasant communications with them, but they definitely won't like compare notes about things. No, right. Oh yeah, we just made a bunch of you know, we just did a bunch of this and they would be like, oh, that's weird. We didn't send any of that out. We just got in a bunch of cattle or something, right?
1: It's very limited contact, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like Marie's saying. Um, Now, after you get past that like individual island level, you get to kind of the inner Mm -hmm. circle of this group. And the way that that works basically is you have sort of, it's it's actually not a very deep um, structure, I guess I'd say, but essentially you have kind of Enot, you know, Foma Enot at the very top, but then below him, you you have like a rotating cast of um other people, I guess I'd say, right? So there are yeah, people like who
0: some people that we think are his family members, right? But it's hard to like he's been it's very secretive about like who his if he has family members or or relations versus people that he just puts in charge
1: right it's not yeah it's not super clear because again, like one of the rules that he puts in place as well is no like familial connections really mm-hmm. um it's it's mm-hmm. a much more like I don't know but we know so little about this cult really from the outside that it's kind of hard to tell, but it appears to be that there's not really a lot of like family making happening here um no no or yes. or-
0: all of it goes back to to him. Right. They don't, there is no other family. Like if you go on to just like any cult, like if you go into this cult, you are not, you don't get to bring family. No, you don't get to bring anything. That's an outside influence into this environment. All of this environment is focused on the one thing, you know, then they have to keep you constantly focused on.
1: Yeah. And so, um, Sidious. but around that leader, then you have kind of some members that are seen closer to him, that appear to be family linked or maybe just like close friends or whatever. And mm-hmm. their kind of task is to go from Island to Island and ensure that kind of like order is kept basically. Um, yeah. You know, are There's the rituals, bad lieutenants. right? Like are yeah. the rituals being performed? Um, you know, are there issues that need to be fixed? Whatever. But then directly below him though, are uh, what he, so it's there. It's a very similar relationship to like the Bogwan and his secretaries. Um, if you guys saw Wild mm-hmm. Country, right, it's this like ah, uh, yes, it's a female companion who has the leader's favor for some reason, and although in the case of the Bogwan, the female companion seemed to be with him for like a long time, in the case of uh the psionic corporation, that companion seems to change somewhat pretty relatively mm-hmm. frequently, so mm-hmm. it seems that there was one companion at the very beginning of the cults. Then another one for like, say, from maybe like 2000 to like 2010. And then from 2010 on, it's been the same final secretary that we have right now. But again, mm-hmm. it, they change, the, you know, and and like what that role actually is, is very um, wishy-washy, right? They're, she. It appears that they're kind of like the head of the, I don't know, the head of the enforcement division, I guess, if we want to call it that. But there's not a lot of structure. Yeah, structured- but they're also
0: sort of the maternal, sort of the maternal force or the you know, just sort of the balance in it to him as well is how I look at it, right? Like, because yeah. she's definitely the heavy and collecting, you know, is is doling out orders and collecting and collecting any kind of um any kind of tithe, but it's she's more of uh the um sort of the velvet
1: glove yes. on the fist, right? Yes, yes. So yeah, and I think that's probably the perfect. way and It's of not a... like
0: he's not. It's not. It isn't so much like, and it, it, there's not a lot of overt discipline, physical threatening yeah. either in any of this. this. Is the thing that I think is the most amazing because at a certain point in any cult, there there has been sort of escalation of viol- violence and um, more physical threats. This is one cult that I feel like has has been able to keep people subservient um, and sort of docile but have been sort of bland and pleasant during it. Because during this time, while she's more, like I said, the sort of the, the velvet glove on the fist, he's still not, he's, he's more aloof and is, I feel like, is having to take on more and more responsibility or more and well, more growth.
1: You know, but the thing is, though, that we, we know from ex-members that mm-hmm. they're told basically like, yeah, you can leave whenever you want, but you're, you're stuck on an island. Like, how are you going to yeah. leave? Right, are you gonna right. Leave? The the only like the helicopters take credits that you no longer have any of because you decided to leave. You know what I mean? Like, right. how are you going to get right. off the island? Like, there's well, it's
0: no. A, it's very psychological. Like, there's yeah, no. Yeah, there's you no. Know, yeah, like, there's there's no hitting, but there's or no no physical
1: torture. But
0: it's 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 well, as we bad because it's yeah. psychological. Yeah, we don't. We, we don't
1: know, but we don't what, know from all yes. outward
0: purposes. Yeah.
1: Now, um, like Marie said before, though the group has in recent years hit like. seemingly has hit gold or like there's oil on an island or something because they are, they are just (laughs) making bank. Right. Now what people believe is happening, or at least there's some evidence for this is that what is occurring is that um, there is trade through the islands in like antiquities that have been stolen or uh, exotic animals or, um, you know, substances that shouldn't be traded. Like,
0: Yes, it's, there seems to be some kind uh, yeah, of a lot of import. I think a lot of import and export, um,
1: black market kind of uh, stuff. safe
0: havens, yeah, yeah, almost like safe havens, right? Like you can put you can store money here, it's like almost like the Cayman Islands, except even more illicit. Like you can keep stuff and sell stuff and, and have stuff retained on this island, and uh, it's like a safe harbor,
1: right? And so, again, because there's kind of like this separation between the business side and like the cult ish side. Um, it's really hard to, like, pick apart what's happening, right? Like, on the one hand, it seems like there is a purely um, benign, like, shipping or, like, I guess, like, distributor, right? Because that's basically how they market themselves. Like, we are a company that kind of brings – we we travel stuff back and forth, right? Right. Um, But on the other hand, you then have this guy who's, like, living – you know, in these weird communes with people who can't leave. It's, it's very strange. Now, this sounds all weird to, it sounds weird now, but it actually has gotten weirder in the recent, in recent years. Oh my God. Because what has, this group has now become embroiled, it seems, in UFO culture. Oh my God. And that is where we will pick up Next episode, listeners. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host. Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at MadScientistpod or at Team Giant Squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm -hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen, our... Web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation.